Good morning, I'm Paul Berkowitz and I am deputized in lieu of our regular host Scott Peter Smith for the latest episode of The Numbers Don't Lie, our weekly podcast about all things elections, mostly related to the 2019 elections with a quantitative bent. So we talk about the numbers and we look at the modeling and the trends behind the numbers. But today's going to be very interesting because our guest in studio today is Ivor Sarakinski. He's a professor at the School of Governance uh, at WITS. And he has been covering elections and political analysis for a while now. Ivor, you and I first worked together in the, for the 2016 municipal elections. So today, as part of our post-elections wrap, I thought we would chat in general some of the themes that have come out for the bigger parties, uh, maybe revisit some of the themes around voter turnout that we've spoken before in previous episodes. But my burning question, the thing that's kept me up at night, <laughs> maybe call it professional jealousy, <laughs> call it professional insecurity, you and another colleague of ours, Ibrahim Fakir, wrote a series of articles, I think, was it for News 24? And um, ENCA. And ENCA. And uh, at least, uh, as far as I'm concerned, between you and me and Ibrahim, there's a, a bit of friendly rivalry over uh, social media and over our WhatsApps about the qualitative versus the quantitative story, the numbers people versus the words people. Okay, Very crude d- division, as far as I'm concerned, the way I'd like to think you and I are both really good at numbers and words. Oh. But... Sometimes that debate got a bit heated. I know that this election cycle was marked more than ever in South Africa by an increasing reliance on quantitative models, on polling. We had the Institute for Race Relations release at one point almost weekly polls. Uh, there were new companies like Mark Data, and people love the numbers. I guess that's why they listen to the show. And so there's a bit of friendly rivalry back and forth about um, the real predictive value of the of the models and the polls, whether there was any to be had. And um, and you and Ibrahim, although sort of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to mischaracterize it, maybe more in the qualitative camp, your predictions were more accurate than almost everyone's. I would like to say they were on a par with mine, but I think they were even better. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have said that on air. So how do you do it? That, that's my first question. Well, we, we, we suck our thumbs harder than the pollsters do. Okay, that, that, that and tracks. We, and we suck both thumbs at the same time. <laughs> so you need to be ambidextrous. Ambidextrous and... and so there, there is a, a bit of guesswork involved, but uh, behind that, we we followed quite a strong methodology, mm. um, and 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 we rejected the polls outright. Um, all of them. All of them. Every single one. We 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 hardly looked at them um, in terms of our analysis. And what we did was we just looked at previous election results. Okay. So we 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 tabulated results in terms of percentages and turnouts and and absolute numbers over time from about uh, 2009 uh, up until 2016 so in, so national and provincial and the um, inter, well the intervening municipal elections yes. Okay. yes we turned the municipal ones into 
provincial percentages per party and 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 national per party okay. so we we kind of equalized in a sense uh, not not very rigorously right. we equalized the the number so we could see what the trends were over an extended period of time okay and did you go all the way down the rabbit hole and include by election results absolutely okay. so so the first step was to see what the trends were and we took it as as our baseline the 2016 national percentage uh-huh. and that was in the high 50s yes and that's what we said was the number we had to play with okay um so so apart from national provincial 2014 which was in the 60 the mid the low 60s we took as our our, our point of the of, of of baseline measurement the 2016 uh, anc results okay. uh, and other parties results and then we started to look at variables and we engaged in detailed discussion per party on whether they would go up from 2016 or down. Right. And this was where the hard political analysis was. So we brought uh, um, by-election results in, in making sense of the DA. And there were two by-election results that were very significant, uh, the Krugersdorp one and the George one. And the, the Freedom Front numbers were so steep, were so high, were so dramatic, that for us it was clearly an indication that something was happening. The DA was looting, losing support uh, to the right. Uh, so we started to use that as a way of bringing the DA numbers down and then we started to look at, uh, and also we factored in uh, the, the the internal strife, the messaging. Um, if you if you go away from your traditional base, will you attract others to compensate for your losses? And we made a judgment call that they they wouldn't they wouldn't come out of that well. Okay. They would lose more than they'd gain because they weren't getting traction in the townships. Uh, and and then we 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 finessed the numbers. From, from 20, I think it was 24 in 2016, 22 in 2014, we finessed those numbers down okay. based on, on those variables. We then looked at the ANC in detail and we brought their numbers down from 2014 in alignment slightly up on 2016. Uh-huh. So the Ramaphoria would bring up the numbers, but not significantly. Uh-huh. So from 57 to 58 to 60. I find it fascinating because what you are telling me corroborates the internal discussions I've had as in, Paul, where did you go wrong? (laughs) So apart from the fact that I was very impressed with the work that you and Ibrahim did, I was also impressed with the work I did with the ANC and the uh, EFF numbers. We called between 57 and 58 for the ANC, came in, called between 10 and 11 for the EFF. Close enough, you know, within tenths of percentage points. So that's fine. The DA, I was rather bullish on, and I realize now the big mistake. Listening to what uh, you talking about your methodology and also work from other uh, colleagues uh, and sometimes competitors like Darby Schultz, is that I've overlooked the by-elections to a criminal degree. Um, And to a lesser degree, uh, treating the national provincial elections and the municipal ones as two different beasts. I mean, they are. We know that uh, there's broad trends that are different between those two types of elections. The the ANC has historically done worse in municipal elections. The opposition parties have seen an outsized effect with their turnout. 
But as you said, there's ways to finesse it. There's ways to compare the apples and oranges or to extend a very tortured metaphor to chop them up finely enough so that the fruit salad tastes okay, which is what I'm hearing. Okay, so I mean, I'm hoping the listeners are learning as much as as I am from this. Obviously, by-election results, as you said, some of them stick out, and you can't you can't ignore them. And in hindsight, it's easy to see how the Freedom Front Plus was going to recover. Were you surprised by the magnitude of the recovery? I mean, the numbers in many ways are almost 94 numbers. The the parties to within 10,000 votes would have got 94. It's back up there. Yeah. We weren't surprised at all by that. Okay. Because when we looked at uh, the, those by-elections and the, the steep climb in those by-election results for the Freedom Front Plus, we then started to interrogate what the DA was doing. We looked at their campaign. We looked at their messaging. We looked at the, the, the pros and cons of going ANC light in terms of fudging their traditional a policy framework and bringing in race and, and BEE and we started to say what effects will that have on their traditional white voting base? Will they hold? Will the DA alliance that difficult alliance which was cobbled together some years back will it hold or will it hemorrhage to the right? And we said it would hemorrhage, hemorrhage quite significantly to the right based mm-hmm. on all of those variables. So we weren't surprised by the Freedom Front coming in because um, a lot of DA supporters were starting to feel alienated. Mm-hmm. Um, so DA stay away in, in, in the suburbs and in other parts of, of South Africa shedding to, to the right. So, so that's the kind of analysis we were doing in advance of the election. I guess the dust is settled, and and now I'm thinking: Is there any need for this cottage industry of number crunching that I'm involved in? I could have come to you, to you and the rest of the team, and and got the inside scoop. Or is it a case? Do you think? And what I'm starting to suspect is that too many people, uh, like me, in in the cottage industry of number crunching and polling, are valorizing the numbers, are ignoring some of their common sense, are swayed too much by the polls I think the whole range of, of, of lovely issues you've raised there we, we also did the same interrogation with the EFF we looked at registered voters, youth we looked at the demographics and we looked uh, at, at, at the competition in that seg- segment across parties and in that way we brought the EFF numbers down mm-hmm. and we took heat in social media for that <laughs> Uh, people from the EFF weren't impressed with, with our prediction at all. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't align with their prediction of yeah. between fifteen and twenty and twenty-five percent. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm not against the numbers, and I think that the methodology we used could be formulated much more rigorously and could be used better in terms of finding the the the, the weightings to to play with previous voting trends yes and 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 this is where my my numerical skills fall apart because i can't do that I, I i just don't know how to do that <laughs> i can look at numbers and i can pick out trends but i don't know how to manipulate numbers consistently and rigorously so so there i think is is room there for for a discussion with a numbers person like you and a political ana- an analysis people like myself and Ibrahim to say this is what we think is the dynamic how do you weight it uh-huh. so if they got x previously and this is happening now what effect and impact will that have 
and to find a, a way of weighting that variable in. Uh, so the demographics for the EFF in terms of youth, uh, the, the, the shift in policy for the, the DA, if one can factor those in, yes. then I think one will have a much more rigorous tool for uh, predicting uh, and, and not using polls at all because we, we don't have to rehearse the, the debates around polls now. Yes. But they, 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 they just don't work for me. I hear that, and I know that there's been um, a thick streak of schadenfreude on social media, and I am not such a nice person that I haven't been above uh, sort of pointing and laughing at, at some of the, you know, the more glaring errors. But there were certain trends, for example, that were picked up in the IRR poll. The, the, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, okay, there were certain trends which were completely buried, but the one I'm thinking of is one of the last polls that the Institute released where they showed that the ANC was at risk of losing KZN. They they put them at 48%. As it was, the the ANC came in at 54%, which is still comfortably in the majority, but the party suffered its biggest losses in in that province. So... Are the clues there, or is it a case of it's just too difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff? If they were wrong there, uh, how do we know what to concentrate on in the polls? Yeah, so it, it's a problem of pe- cherry-picking the results from the polls that correspond closely with the final outcome. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not a very strong way of, of, of doing this. So. It's actually a kind of confirmation <laughs> bias, isn't it? Yeah, complete confirmation bias. Uh, the worst kind of confirmation bias. Uh, amongst all the hundreds of results that were completely wrong, you focus on two that were close to right, and you use margin of error to make it even more accurate than it actually was. Well, you know the old joke that they make about we economists and our poor predictive abilities. I say, you know, you can knock economists, but the truth is we've predicted 78 of the last three recessions. <laughs> <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> so so the, the case at end one was interesting because I, I was having conversations with another person who uses numbers but also uh, uh, a lot of political common sense in terms of interpreting and he was uh, making this is Wayne Sussman yes um, big and, fan of Wayne and he identified some gaps in KZN and I, I said it can't be that serious but he was right can and you talk about those gaps well the the, the it came down to the ANC campaigning um, they held Zuma back ah. so the big debate is if Zuma came in, would the numbers have gone up? Yes. Or, or was the stay away, because it was a significant stay away, which uh, impacted on that result? Yes. Is that a protest against uh, the, the new leadership of the ANC? And, 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 and if we interrogated that dynamic in KZN more, we would have come a bit closer perhaps to that provincial result. But we were aware that KZN was going to go down because of some of the serious failures, governance failures, in major voting areas in KZN. But we didn't, we didn't come in on there. Wayne got that 100% right. Wayne has, I think we should get him into the studio in the future, Pronto, but he has one of the best noses for these things Absolutely. because he genuinely loves it. He's, he's a politics nerd. He threw a, an election results party for the 2018 or the, it was either the U.S. midterms or the 2016 presidential election, but you know he had an overnight party and they served snacks until four in the morning, because it's a big event for him, and I think I think that is important. I, I've just as a very sort of meta and removed issue, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. 
I think. No, the, the, the fun is, is in the whole thing. So, so, so one does this to try and, and do serious analysis, and there are different ways of doing it. So we, we tried one approach, and, and, and the numbers came out, and uh, without confirmation bias, we got it pretty close to right. <laughs> Almost exactly spot on. Um, uh, he, he does it differently uh, in terms of a detailed focus on local dynamics through municipal ward elections and by-elections. Yes. And his, his nose for local dynamics is, un, I think, unsurpassed. Yes. So when it came to the KZN, he, he just had a sense of what was going down that was, that was very reliable and very accurate and uh, much more uh, on point than the, the, the poll that picked up a very, very broad trend. His, his, his identification of what was going on was very specific. I'd like to, because you've put some ideas in my head, Ivor, I'd like to follow up on the work that Wayne's done in the province. What we've seen, I mean, this is a broad trend and it's, it's, it's quite well known, is that if you very crudely split the province into north and south, and particularly over the last couple of election cycles, the ANC has cleaned up in the south. The ANC, the south of of um, KZN, you know, the Ugu district and, and all of that area kind of below Newcastle or, or, or in line with Durban, Peter Maritzburg and going south has been a very strong ANC and that would have been traditional Zuma country. So if we check turnouts there in that southern half and we compare it to 2014, I think we'll be able to look at a story. What I did pick up is that turnout in the northern half of the province, which uh, has shown a strong contestation between the ANC and the IFP, turnout was low. And I think that's a nice uh, point to try and segue into... What can we predict for 2021? I know it's too soon, but I know that the, the new cycle, we always <laughs> want to be a little bit ahead. It's still two years away. But these trends we're talking about, specifically turnout and lower turnout in, in certain areas, that seems to just be getting worse. Big swathes of Limpopo and Northwest, Northern KZN, um, parts of Eastern Cape in the east around Mtata. Those turnout differentials can have much more significant and profound results when it comes down to the municipal level. And um, what do you think? I, I think the ANC stands a very real risk of losing majority in more than just Rustenburg, for example, in, in the northwest. That the, the municipalities which we've never seen come into play, which are going to surprise some of us in 2021. Turnout is the key. Um, and even for this election, we were having big fights about what turnout would be. So we did a chart and we could see turnout going down. Uh -huh. And we followed that trend and dropped it to 70 from 73. Yes. Uh, so we, we got that wrong. Mm -hmm. And if, if turnout was 70, our result would have been even more accurate uh -huh. in terms of ANC going up and uh, DA, EFF going down a bit. Uh -huh. Right. So so the turnout is fundamental here. So, so in municipal elections, the ward seats might still be safe with reduced turnout, reduced majorities. Yes. But it's the PR seats. 100%. And that's where the, that's where 2022 
2021 is going to be interesting in terms of how the the, the PR seats in terms of the formula yes. change the balance in councils. We saw that very clearly in Nelson Mandela Bay. ANC, as you said, picked up 35 of the 60 wards, but still was quite a distance in second place behind the, the DA. Oh, oh, let's get the numbers. The ANC had 50 of the 120 wards of all, 60 wards, 60 PR. So in addition to their 35 wards, they only managed to add 15 PR seats, but the DA getting 25 wards added, I think, what is it, another 32 PR seats. And, and and that kind of trend is something that could turn around and bite the ANC. Very much so. So the, the PR turnout is crucial because it does Im, Im, favor smaller parties. If you've got a solid block of X and you're dividing that by Z, which is high, or Y, which is a bit lower, if your solid block is on the lower percentage, your, your, your translation into seats goes up. So the ANC relies on high turnout. Yes. And if they can't get that turnout, it's going to have a massive repercussions. And judging by this result, and I've gone through wards in Soweto, in Joburg, in Chwane, in, in Shoshanguve, in Mabopane, the ANC's got a lot to be worried about. In those um, Gauteng metros? Yes, in the Gauteng. So they'll, they'll, they'll win the ward, uh, simple majority ones. Yes. But they're going to drop significant uh, vote numbers which translates into PR seats in those councils. So can I talk a bit more about that? I know uh, I've jumped ahead two years in time and now back to the present, sort of like back to the future. Um, There was a lot of talk and I know this is something that we've discussed off air and it's a bit of a fun thing and it's a bit of an in-joke especially at TISO the so-called Peter Bruce effect a lot of the commentariat and a lot of the Twitterati blaming Peter Bruce for an article saying vote ANC on the national level Cyril needs a big mandate I don't even want to go into the logic of whether a a higher ANC vote means a bigger mandate because I think that's controversial and maybe it's up to smarter political analysts like you to, to explain the story to me but just this idea we've gone through the numbers turnout has been lower across the country as you said you were not the only one it was us as well that uh, turnout in 2014 was was 73% we, we we modeled it down to 70 we modeled it even down to 67 but not 65 that was that's quite a quite a hit can we use science can we in your theory test can we false is this hypothesis of Peter Bruce being responsible for the ANC retaining Gauteng or for the national provincial split in votes with the ANC and the DA. Is that hypothesis falsifiable? Can we say one way or another? I think we can get a sense of what voters were doing, but I'm not sure they were doing this in response to his newspaper articles. Yes. I think that citizens had a a set of concerns. Do we want a hung Gauteng? Right. We've seen what happens in Hang in, in Hang municipalities. Yes. This the, the, the chairs, the game of chairs is is is, is unstable, it undermines performance, uh, all of that stuff. So I think a lot of Gauteng voters were very concerned about Gauteng dropping below fifty, mm-hmm. irrespective of their broader political affiliation. So I think what may have happened is that a lot of people split their vote. They voted ANC provincially and gave uh, 
um, uh, a DA vote on the one side. I think the constituency that Peter Bruce was appealing to, because they didn't want a, a hung Gauteng. Hmm, that's an interesting narrative. And then if one looks at the, the big numbers in terms of national vo uh, votes versus provincial votes, Gauteng, there is a slight increase uh, for national above what the ANC got provincially. And that means another constituency was saying, um, let's give Cyril the benefit of the doubt. So we'll vote party X provincially and uh, ANC nationally. So, so, so a diverse set of strategies. So uh, a vote for Cyril maps onto an ANC national vote. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, because we're close to wrapping up, Ivor, but what I've seen in this election and in the previous election, I'd concentrated mostly on the DA's national versus provincial split. And in most parts of the country, you know, there's isolated wards here and there, but the, the, the dominant trend is that the DA does better nationally over provincially. More people vote nationally and then provincially another party. And maybe that's a trend for a lot of the big parties because, you know, there's more competition on a provincial level. You've got more choices. But with the exception of two provinces, Western Cape and Gauteng were the two provinces where consistently over across the majority of wards in those provinces, the DA did better provincially than nationally, sometimes by as much as five percentage points. I get the narrative of why that could work in Western Cape precisely for the, the reason you're saying that you don't want a hung council and the DA has um, got a, a proven track record of, of service delivery in the Western Cape. So the party continues to enjoy a, a bit of a provincial advantage. And the analysis can work both ways. If the DA does more provincially than nationally in Gauteng, it may be some other voters coming, uh, lending the DA their provincial vote, or it could be some erstwhile DA voters lending another party their national vote. And that's what I mean. Is it, can we, can we tease that out that easily? We, we can see changes in the numbers. Yes. Nationally, provincially, uh, in, in, in those contexts. Explaining and understanding why voters on a significant base have done that to show up in the in the, in the, in, in the charts is is incredibly difficult because we we're trying to get inside the heads of what voters were thinking when they split their vote x and y and and that 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 raises all kinds of interesting and difficult questions and and that's when i think one needs to start to dig really deep down into local ward politics to get a sense of what the concerns are of of particular noteworthy wards where those discrepancies are at their highest and to say right who's the town councillor who's the people who've been campaigning there what effect did the campaigning have how many posters were in the streets and then one gets a multifaceted understanding of what that informs that dynamic and I think a lot of that comes down to local politics. Well, I certainly have been given a lot of food for thought, Ivor, and in fact, a bit of homework. I now know where I need to refine some of the analysis on some of these issues, and uh, maybe we'll have some conclusive answers the next time we speak. Uh, unfortunately, I've had, well, not, let, let me repass that sentence. I've had a huge amount of fun here with you today. Unfortunately, it has to come to an end, but... 
I'd like it'd be great to continue the conversation at a later stage. And you've been listening to The Numbers Don't Lie with me, Paul Berkowitz, and our fascinating in-studio guest today, Ivor Sarakinski. He's Professor of Governance at the Wits Business School. Ivor, thanks so much for coming in. Real pleasure, Paul. I also had a lot of fun, enjoyed it. Uh, talking election results is great, and I want a bottle of whiskey off a polster. That <laughs> is the best result I've heard all month. <laughs> Listening to Final Take, a multimedia live production from the Tiso Blackstock Group, publishers of the Sunday Times, Business Day, and Financial Mail.